This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Happy TGIF. Yeah, big time. Yeah, thank God it's Friday for sure. All right, let's start with the Ontario election yesterday. Yeah, wow. now, on the show yesterday, you predicted a Ford victory, and you also you also figured that both the opposition party leaders, NDP and Liberal leaders, would both resign. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. Let's listen to Doug Ford. Big majority win for his progressive conservatives last night in Ontario. We overcame 15 years of liberal scandals, 15 years of mismanagement and waste. The Ontario PC party is stronger than ever, and we will make Ontario the envy of Canada once again. <laughs> okay, what do you think of this guy? Well, you know, he's, um, I won't say he's changed his stripes, but certainly the expectations of him have changed over the years. At the, at the beginning, I think there was a lot of people thinking he was going to be like Rob Ford, his yeah. erratic brother, his late yeah. erratic brother. And the pandemic, for whatever reason, Ford's just become this conservative, working-class, blue-collar type guy. Yes, yeah. And I think he's been seen as less of a threat to a lot of people's values. And as a, as a result, um, uh, he cruised to victory. Now, a couple things to take away from yesterday's vote. Historically low turnout, 43%. Yeah. Just unbelievable, but maybe not unbelievable. We had 53%, I think, in BC. The pandemic, again, has uh, lowered politics in terms of priorities for people. Uh, they're just not thinking about politics the same way. They're not thinking about uh, changing governments. And they're also, you and I talked about this yesterday, the resistant to changing horses in midstream here. In- another incumbent government award- rewarded with a victory. Uh, we saw, we've seen that in a number of jurisdictions, uh, across Canada of elections held in the, in the, uh, pandemic. And we saw it again in Ontario. This progressive conservative party in Ontario just had an electoral machine mm-hmm. on the ground that was really able to identify and get their vote out. Just reading some analysis on that this morning. And I think maybe they even anticipated a low voter turnout and probably thought this is not going to hurt us. In fact, maybe it's an advantage. If we can get make sure we get our people out, it doesn't matter if it's a low turnout, well, we're going to win. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, their base was motivated to yeah. vote, and the other yeah. guys weren't. Uh, it's, so it's hard for opposition parties to motivate their, their, their base to get out there. If people are not desiring change, they're not really interested in the outcome or about politics because they've got other things on their mind in this pandemic, it's harder for the opposition parties to muster a game here in the BC election. I mean, the the, the conservatives were, were criticized here in this campaign for not having a campaign, for not having events, not talking to the media, not necessarily being open and accountable. Very similar to the BC election, there were no events. There wasn't any, any camp, very few campaign stops or yeah. rallies. There was yeah. very minimal media uh, interaction, and the incumbent government, the NDP, uh, increased its majority. And the same thing happened in Ontario, where the incumbent government increased its majority. But again. Forty-three percent turnout. That yeah. is like I think that's the second lowest turnout in a provincial election in Canadian history. What do you think uh, was going through Justin Trudeau's mind as he's watching this big conservative win in Ontario? Do you think the federal Liberals are maybe worried? Let's say if Paulie ever they get a new they get a new mm-hmm. leader. Who knows? Maybe it's Shere. 
but they have a new conservative leader. Look at this big conservative win in Ontario. Is that a threat to Trudeau nationally? Well, it's interesting. You started comparing voting patterns. uh, And again, we haven't done the deep analysis on this yet. But the Liberals can't be too happy that the Conservatives have uh, outpolled the um, the Liberals. The Liberal vote in Ontario just completely collapsed. Brutal. Like eight seats. Yeah. Um, But what's also interesting over time, what we're seeing on the national stage is these strong relationships that have built up between the premiers and the prime minister. And it doesn't matter about your party affiliation. So John Horgan and Doug Ford have gotten along just fine. Uh, Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford get along just fine. And what we've seen in the pandemic, pre-pandemic, the premiers would get together once a year. Uh, they may, might be the prime minister once a year or every two years. That's not what's happened in the pandemic. They were having weekly phone calls, weekly Zoom meetings, constant communication between this group of high-level politicians. And as a result, they they're sort of cemented their relationships in a way that we haven't seen uh, before the pandemic. So again, uh, John Horgan has told me how impressed he is with Doug Ford. Again, these are ideological opposites. Yeah. But he likes Ford's sort of um, pragmatism at the, at the premier stage uh, in terms of one of, the, one of the key guys early on in the pandemic to start really getting the supply chain going in terms of uh, personal productive health equipment and such. So there's less animosity between the prime minister and Doug Ford, or, you know, between a, a federal liberal government and a provincial conservative government, same as there's less animosity between a BC NDP government and a provincial conservative government in Ontario. Okay, Ontario Liberal Party used to be a, a major force there. They got curb stomped there last night, and the party leader there did announce in his concession speech that he was resigning. Mm -hmm. Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, here's what he had to say last night. I have no doubt that the women and men that Ontario Liberals have elected to the legislature will do their part, in fact will do more than their part, to help grow a new and energetic progressive movement here in Ontario. It will, however, be a movement that will be led by a new leader. Yeah, and it didn't seem to be anyone in the room that upset when he announced. Because normally when, you know, a politician says, oh, I'm going to resign, people go, no, no, well, don't even quit. when Jason Kenney announced he was yeah. going to resign, everybody in the hall said, no, don't do that. This but, guy said, I'm going to step down, and I think he was waiting for that that response, and no, there, there really wasn't one. No, a very, so, very yeah, he's loud done. silence. Yeah, yeah, he's done. Andrew Horvath, the NDP, is done as well. Yeah, the um, NDP leader also announcing she's stepping down. Yeah, so those parties got a lot of soul-searching to do, uh, but they're they're going through what other opposition parties have gone through in this pandemic, and that is uh, no matter what you throw at the wall, nothing seems to stick, and the incumbent seems to walk away with it. Okay, let's uh, bring it back home here, talk about uh, British Columbia. So the spring session of the legislature wrapped up yesterday. I really enjoyed Vaughn Palmer's column in the Vancouver Mm -hmm. Sun today, which I recommend to the listeners, where he broke down the, the estimates debate, as it's known, between Horgan and Kevin Falcon, the new liberal leader. And a lot of it centered on the museum. budget for this billion dollar museum. And, you know, Horgan kept repeating over and over in there that this project is on time on budget. What and and the, I thought Vaughn very, yeah, it's very like, effectively spelled out. Oh, that's just not the case. Not the museum budget. It's the, it's the uh, archive budget. Well, it's part of the whole yeah, museum project. Whole museum. So we still haven't got any details of the museum budget. We just, that's still a big mystery what that is. But there has been a plan and works in, on paper of the of the archives, moving the archives, and that is over budget, and it's the schedule is, is uh, over time, so it's uh, it's off schedule and over budget. But despite the premier's insistence yesterday that this thing was on 
budget. So uh, Vaughn, to his credit, broke it down, saying no, that's not the case. So that that particular element of the of the th- thing has already gone sideways. There's no reason to assume that the $789 million price tag for the museum is not going to go over budget or take longer than expected. In fact, I, I'd be very surprised if that came, if it still goes ahead, I'd be very surprised if that came in on budget and on time. Yeah, this preliminary part of this project is called the Collections and Research Building. So this is where they'll be moving a lot of these valuable documents and archives to this new building. And Horgan insisted a few times that part of this project mm-hmm. is on time, on budget, no, and you case. just got to look at the government's own documents. It's a year behind and 27% over budget. Yeah. So, and yet you have Horgan in the legislature surrounded by his staff who are whispering to him and giving him the answers. Still, they're trying to tell the public that this thing is on time and on budget. Yeah, Von and, clearly I, not. Von and I were in there watching uh, this unfold. So this is the estimates for the for the spending for the premier's office, right. which is generally an open end discussion on anything that goes on in government. Sure, uh, between the opposition leader and the premier, it goes on for a number of hours over over two days, and it ended with uh, as it began with a discussion about the museum. Um, and this, uh, you're right. There's about half a dozen staffers in the chamber around the premier, plus another dozen or so staffers in a committee room just off the chamber, all ready to provide information. <laughs> uh, all the documents are there. And, but I've, you know, this is not the first time I've seen a government stick to the fiction that something's on time and on budget. Cause again, it depends when you want to start counting, I suppose. Uh, but if you start from the very beginning, it's clearly over budget and, uh, off, uh, off schedule. I, uh, I loved, the tweet yesterday by Jazz Johal, who pointed out that the the new museum that they're building in Egypt to house the the King Tut treasures is about the same price as the BC museum. Billion dollars. They're out a billion dollars. I guess that's what museums are now. Billion dollar <laughs> um, uh, projects. But essentially, so the session ended yesterday, and I have to say it ended far better for the Liberals than it did for the NDP. I think it started out strong for the NDP. But once Falcon get into the chamber and then this gift wrap parcel arrived called the Royal BC Museum Replacement Project, yeah. um, the mood and atmosphere uh, changed in that house in the Liberals' favour. Okay, let's listen to Falcon here going after the government here on the museum. If this Premier is so stubbornly wanting to go ahead with one of the dumbest capital decisions I've seen since they cancelled the 10-lane the 10-lane Massey Bridge that would have been opening this summer. If they want to stubbornly go ahead with this, then British Columbians deserve to see a full and unredacted business case. Well, they did release a business case, but it was not unredacted. Oh, it was about a third of the pages were, were redacted. A lot of details of design, financing, all the, all the stuff you want to know is not really there. Um, and we're not sure, we're not clear when we're going to get that information. So this is... Um, you know, Falcon joked if, if the basically if the NDP loses the next election, they can circle the date of May, you know, thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, is the day when everything started to go wrong for them. That was uh, the day they announced the museum project. Yeah, on a Friday. Yeah. Um, usually Fridays take out the trash day around here. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. The, the government put out a uh, or the NDP caucus put out a news release citing all the accomplishments of the legislative session. Notably absent of any mention was the museum. Okay. Clip of Horgan. I thought there was a bad session for Horgan. This was one of the low points here, talking about gas prices. Have a listen to this. Right now, I encourage people to uh, think before you hop in the car. Do you need to make that trip? Is there a way you can do it with a neighbor or uh, someone who's going by? 
<laughs> so yeah, that was catch a ride with someone going by. I think that's one he wants to to walk back. Uh, a couple times he's made references take a tra- take transit if you can't drive. Now gas prices interesting uh, as we sort of predicted before. Once you get used to gas prices, it ceases to become as big an issue as it was when the price first. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. One up. It's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls. Al and Coquitlam. Hi, Al. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning, guys. I got to tell you, this reminds, this whole museum reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons. When a shyster comes to town and tries to sell them a monorail. Monorail, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? It's monorail. It's like, you guys need to upgrade your museum. This is a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's maybe you know, one of the best episodes ever of yeah. The Simpsons. You're right. There is kind of a bit of a... Oh, it does feel a bit like that. Yeah, and this is... Uh, some Democrats nervously asked me yesterday, so now that the session is over, do you think this will die down? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's going to die down for yeah. the summer. But then in September, there's actually as it stands now, a plan for a ceremony oh. to, to close the museum. Okay. And I was joking with some NDP cabinet ministers. I, I said, I assume you're not going to be there. <laughs> uh, and they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, again, uh, September is when this thing gets revived. Again, the House is no longer sitting, so there's there's not a platform for the Liberals to bash the government over the head on a daily basis with this thing. And people go away for the summer, and politics you know, takes a back seat. But when they come back in the fall – uh, it will, the opening of the legislature uh, session in the fall will come just after the closure, the formal closure of the museum. Okay. But we'll see if that timeline gets revisited. James in White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call, guys. I just want to know, like, where's the $400 rental rebate? And where's my $110 check from ICBC? And where's the tax basis that they promised to make life more affordable? Like, I, I, I don't even understand why they're even talking about a museum when they have so many broken promises that could make life so, uh, affordable for people again that they're just ignoring, completely thanks for, ignoring. Yeah, thanks for the call. Yeah, so that, that $120 rebate check should be arriving any day now. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that $400 renter's rebate, nowhere in sight. They say they're studying it now in their fifth year of study, as far as we can determine. This was a promise made in the 2017 election campaign. And the affordability issue, I wrote a column a couple months ago saying, stop talking about this because governments, no government can solve the affordability crisis, so try, stop trying to take ownership of it. Noreen in Abbotsford. Hi, Noreen. Hi, how are you? Good, go ahead. Good. Um, Keith, <laughs> Keith, mm-hmm. uh, I don't understand what John is doing. Does he not realize... This is going to take him down. I was just on Twitter. There's an emergency ward somewhere, uh, one of the hospitals in the interior. It's closed again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, truly, this is not going to go away. Because, you know, for yeah. us people on the outside looking in, like what? I've been an NDP all my life, and I haven't a clue what he's doing. I, I'm looking at, thank you for the call, Noreen. I'm looking at the the release from Interior Health. Yeah, the emergency department at 100 Mile House District General Hospital is closing down because of a physician shortage. Yeah, so, you know, it's 
It's tough to compare the museum capital project with a physician shortage, but nevertheless, in the public's mind right now, the yeah. museum's compared to everything. Yeah. You know, it's a billion dollars on a museum yeah. at a time when, you, and even though capital's different than operating in terms of accounting, that, that, that distinction is lost on the general public. So when you see a physician shortage leading to emergency ward closure, yeah. it's immediately compared to the museum in many people's minds. And the government's just not going to win that uh, that that argument. Let's go to Daryl on the line in Coquitlam. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I just want to comment on the Ontario election. I found it very interesting that Doug Ford is very cozy with Justin Trudeau. He almost has a crush on Christian Freeland, and he doesn't ever say anything about the uh, the conservative race nationally. He never speaks about Jason Kenney, and he has really tracked hard to the middle. I'd just like your yeah. comments on that. Thanks yeah, for the call. Very seconds. good point. He and Freeland, uh, you say he has a crush on Freeland. It's a good way of, uh, <laughs> interesting way of, of uh, phrasing that. Uh, but Ford also realizes uh, when push comes to shove, he has to do business with the federal government. Yeah. And he wants a good, strong relationship with Trudeau. He doesn't need a strong relationship with Jason Kenney. He's staying out of the conservative race, which is very smart because yeah. it's just a poisonous race. There's not much upside to get involved in that thing. And one thing right now that's driving so much of the national agenda are all the provinces trying to put pressure on Ottawa to get more health care dollars, and they're all united on that. Thanks, Keith. Have a great weekend. All right.